In 2013, Seacoast Church celebrates 25 years of serving God and changing lives. God has blessed Seacoast immeasurably, but we believe that the best is yet to come. Next is about celebrating our here while asking God to show us our there. Next is also about God's plan for you. He has a next for you, whether you know it or not. So let's take some time to discover your next and what it will take to get there. Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, from an offsite campus or on the internet or the warehouse, chapel, wherever you might be. I know that uh, this weekend, all of our campuses at one of the services or multiple services are doing uh, child dedications. And uh, so if you're brand new, coming to celebrate a family member, uh, we're glad you guys are here too uh, today. Uh, great weekend uh, if you're a football fan. I mean, uh, for South Carolina, uh, the Citadel won and CSU won and Clemson and Carolina, neither one of them lost. Uh, of course, they didn't play, but it, it's a good thing. And, uh, <laughs> and most of you don't even care, you know. I'm praying for you. All right, so, okay, here we go. Here we go. What for you is the most frustrating word in the English language? Think about that. Think about that. What are the most frustrating words in the English language? All right, here, here, here's some. No. Is that frustrating? No, as, I mean, it, it's so forever. You know, no, no. Or never. Don't like never. How about love? Is that a frustrating word? Frustrating word. Here's what I think. Would you agree with me that one of the most frustrating words in the English language is wait? Wait. I hate to wait. I like words like go. Now. Yes. You know, those are, those are great words. Wait. I was at my brother-in-law's house, Colorado. My brother-in-law has a dog. It's a cocker spaniel. His name is Max. He treats it like a, a person. Like, and some of you do the same thing. You know, he has a table set for it. It's just weird. You know, it's just weird. And he's so proud of Max. And he's trying to get me to like Max, you know. And I'm not abusive to animals. I'm not. I just, you know, I just don't like Max. And uh, so he says, watch what Max can do. And so here's what he would do. He would take a dog treat and have Max kind of lay down on all fours and uh, put the dog treat on Max's nose. And then he would say, Wait. Max would wait. He'd walk away. He'd say, wait. Max would wait. He'd walk a little bit further and he'd say, wait. And by that time, Max is waiting, but you can tell everything inside of Max is doing. Come on, let's get with it. Let's get. He's frustrated because it's a frustrating word. So finally he says, go. And I mean, you couldn't even see it. Max went like this. It was in his mouth. And he wanted a treat, you know. I thought about my own life. I thought, you know, sometimes my master gives me a dream. Or gives you a dream. Uh, maybe it's about your family, your career, your kids, you know, finance. I don't know what it is. But he, he gives you an idea, dream. And then through circumstances, you are forced to Wait. 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 Now, over time, everything inside of you is going, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And, but 
for whatever reason, the master who knows best says, I want you to wait. can be frustrating. You know, we're in a series that we're calling Next, and the big idea is that God has a next for all of us. God has a next for your family, your spiritual life, probably physically in every area of your life. God has a next. And we're talking about how do you get from here to there, okay? And part of that process, the transitions of life, can be frustrating. In fact, we're looking at biblical characters who encountered setbacks and roadblocks in their journey to where God wanted them to be. And and we all encounter those. You know, we all have setbacks. We all have frustrating times where we feel like we're in the waiting rooms of life. And sometimes it's painful. But God uses every one of those circumstances to get us through the transition from here to there. Today, we're going to talk about a guy who had to wait a long time. And his name is Joseph. Most of you know the story of Joseph, Old Testament. He's a very important character because as you read Genesis in the Old Testament, a lot of important characters show up, but some of them only get one chapter or two chapters or maybe three or four. And Joseph has several chapters. His story spans several chapters because he's crucial to God's plan and God's story of how he interacts with his people. God gave him a dream. The master gave him a dream. It was a dream of leadership. Now, he didn't know exactly what that would look like. He made some mistakes on the, in the process. But it was a long, long journey for him from here to there. But here's the truth. God used him in bigger ways than he ever could have imagined. When he got this dream, there's no way he could have dreamed that someday he would end up be, being the, the second most powerful man In all of Egypt, there's just no way to conceive that. So what I want to do is I want to read a little bit of his story. And we're not going to read the whole thing. It would take us forever. And we're going to skim, to be honest with you. We're not going to go, you know, real deep into a lot of the issues in the Joseph story. I've done series for weeks on the Joseph story. But let's take a look at the beginning of it. Then we'll kind of grab a a picture of uh, later in in the story. Begins in Genesis chapter uh, 37 and verse 2. And uh, you can follow along either in your Bible or uh, on the outline sheet or on the screen, wherever you happen to be. Here it is. It says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. And he worked for his, notice, for, he worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. Uh, Just a rule of thumb, that's probably not a real good relational kind of thing to do. You know, he's kind of the tattletale, goes home, says this is what they're doing. And uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Uh, This probably is not a good thing for a dad to do, is to admit to, hey, Love all of you, he's special. I kind of like him best. Uh, That causes problems in the family. In fact, I have personal examples of that. I have a brother that was born 16 and a half years younger than me. He was kind of a, whoops. uh, There are no whoopses in God's economy, but there was in my parents' economy. And dad just loved him. And so we sold him into slavery. (laughs) He lives in Nashville now. 
I love him too. But I really do. I, I, I love him. Not as much as my dad loves him, but I, I love him. So, so, so one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Great move. Great move. The brothers don't like him anyway because dad likes him more than he likes them. And so dad makes him a robe so that every day it would rub their noses in it. This is a dysfunctional family. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. But one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So what did he tell his brothers? He told his brothers, hey guys, I got a dream from God. You guys are going to love this. You're going to love it. What was the dream? Well, in the dream, you guys were bowing down to me. I was kind of your boss. It was just so cool. How you know, when you have a dream, sometimes it's good to be careful who you share it with. Uh, some of you may have a dream right now, you know, vocationally. Um, don't go in on Monday and tell your boss that she'll be working for you soon. That doesn't work. That's not good. It, wisdom. Joseph doesn't have a lot of it at this age. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, what happened is his dad sent him out to check on him. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and we can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Well, ultimately, they don't kill him but they sell him into slavery, never to see him again for years. And they thought they'd never, ever see him. But the end of the story is kind of, a, kind of a neat thing. So Joseph is destined for greatness. He's younger than most of his brothers. He's his dad's favorite. God gives him a dream because of dad's favor and God's dream. He's just despised and hated by his brothers. They plot to kill him, which leads to a long journey. And as the story unfolds, we wonder if Joseph will ever achieve the dream. Now, often in the journey from here to there, in our lives, God will give us a dream. Now, what's a dream about? You know, sometimes we think, well, at, at night I got a real vivid dream, and sometimes that happens, not often. A dream is just a, an inspired picture of a positive future. It can be an inspired picture of a positive future for your relationship or for your business or for your ministry or for your kids, whatever it happens to be. And oftentimes we get one of those. But in life, so many things come against our dreams. Negative people come against our dreams. Setbacks and pressures and relational breakdowns. Failures come against our dreams. Sometimes just economic factors that you know, we don't have any control over. The truth is it can be overwhelming and you may feel like everything right now is coming against your dream. And you're tired of waiting. You're frustrated because that wait, wait, wait word is so frustrating. And maybe you're even discouraged. Well, I'm glad you're here because I've got one word for you. Don't give up on your dream. Now, there are times there's the right time to give up. But you know what? It's, it's, it's usually a lot later than what you think it is. And oftentimes, the fulfillment of the dream could be just around the corner, and you give up too soon. And so I want to take a look at Joseph for just a few minutes, and I want to look at that, that concept. Um, don't give up on your dream. Here's two or three things that we can learn from him. First, don't give up on your dream, even if you didn't start well, okay? Don't give up on your dream, 
even if you didn't start well. God has this big idea, this big picture for Joseph, and Joseph makes mistakes. I mean, he made just, between him and his dad, they made every boneheaded mistake that you could make relationally at the beginning of this story. I mean, he just, he's a 17-year-old with a big dream with not a lot of wisdom. He makes mistakes. Anybody here ever made mistakes on the, on the way to the fulfillment of a dream? I mean, we all make mistakes. Oscar Wilde said it this way, experience is simply the name that we give our mistakes. I like how Mark Twain says it, good judgment is the result of experience. Experience is the result of bad judgment. <laughs> have you seen that whole deal? You know, Why are you so good at what you do? Why do you have such wisdom? Because I blew it several times. We all make mistakes. I'm telling you what, we're celebrating 25 years at Seacoast with this series. In fact, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, two weeks from now, we're going to have a big celebration. We're bringing back a lot of people that were here in the beginning. We're going to do some fun things. I want you to be here uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Uh, but uh, it, as, I, as I sit here and I think about the 25 years at Seacoast, we made, I could do a whole message, probably a series on the mistakes that we made along the way. Let me give you one. So the staff's starting to grow, and it was easy when there were just a few of us, you know, to connect and to, you know, have camaraderie. But as it grows, you need to build the team. And so team building was just a big rage at the time, you know, go do ropes courses, all this kind of stuff. I decided we, what we needed, we, we needed some team building. And so let's go see a movie together. And we'll just, we'll, it, it'll be an inspiring movie and it'll, rather than just have a you know, normal staff meeting. And so here's what I do. Here's my leadership style. I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I'm not good at carrying things out. So I get the dream, the vision, and I say, okay, you do it, Okay. You, you, you carry out the details, and we'll, we'll do it together. So that's what I did. I said, we, we, let's go get something to eat together. There, there's a little movie theater downtown that had food, and you could rent it out. Get a good movie, an inspiring movie, and, and let's do this together. So, and so we did. So we got in vans and cars, and we drove downtown. And The first sign that this probably wasn't going to work was um, the food. Um, the, what they gave us was stale cold pizza. It was like they probably served it the night before, and they said, well, Seacoast is coming. We'll take the extras. We'll just give it to them, and we'll charge them for it. You know, it was just terrible. And then, and then the movie started. Uh, rule number one is preview all movies before you bring people to them. And how many of you have ever even, how many of you have seen a movie, and, and somebody says, hey, is this a good movie? And you say yes, and they come back from say, are you kidding me? Do you know what was in there? And you didn't even realize. Worse yet is to go to a movie that you thought was good next to somebody who is holy and pure, and you missed a piece of it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see it. You understand what I'm saying? So we're at the movie. I haven't seen it. It starts. It's an inspirational movie where the lead character slowly disrobes for the first 10 minutes. Slowly. I turned to my wife. I said, Debbie, have you seen this movie? Yeah, I saw it a while ago. Uh, how much does she take off? I don't remember. And I'm sweating nuggets. It's cold in the theater. I'm sweating. What do I do? And it's just more and more and more. Debbie, and so I've got to blame somebody. You know? what? And she didn't even pick the movie. She just seen it, you know. I don't know. So I turned to my brother, uh, six years younger than me, Jeff, on this side. I said, Jeff, go upstairs and tell him to turn it off. So he goes up to the projection room. Unfortunately, the projectionist is on a cigarette break. And, uh, and the, the machine 
is not, you can't just like unplug it. It's hardwired into the wall. And so he knows, hey, Greg said to turn it off. He grabs it, yanks it out of the wall. The machine stops. I get up. I'm so embarrassed. I say, gang, uh, swing and a miss. We're going home. Okay? Let's go back to work. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody. And so I leave first. I did. I leave first. And then everybody kind of gets in the vans and the cars and stuff. And you wouldn't you know it that this was the very first staff meeting for two or three of our staff. Billy Hornsby was one of them who I talked to you about last week. Billy was just a godly man. Just a godly man. And then um, Kathy Roseborough, who became my assistant, was working in another area at that time. That was her first uh, staff meeting. And so she climbs into a van with several other people and sits next to one of the guys. And she says to him, are all Seacoast staff meetings like that one? And uh, he said, no, usually the food's better and there's less porn. But... But I got to tell you, in the midst of this thing crumbling around me, I thought, I've lost my, my leadership quotient. I can't lead anymore. I've led these people astray. What, what are they going to think? Well, you know what? We all make mistakes. And usually, the severity of the mistake in your mind is bigger than it is in other people's mind. We, 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 we can forgive and we can move on. Don't give up on your dream even if it didn't start well. Let me give you another thought from Joseph. Don't give up on your dream even if others don't understand it. His family, those closest to him, most of them didn't understand. Dad understood, but most of them didn't understand his dream. And there'll be times when you'll have a dream and some of the people that you would think would be the first to hop on and go, yeah, this is good. They won't understand. In fact, some of them may, you know, stand against the dream. I remember when we decided we wanted to start a church here in Charleston, South Carolina, I had some people in my family who said, you're crazy. I mean, this is ridiculous. Did, you tried to stand really hard against it because this just, I mean, you're not from the South. This is, this is not... Church planting back then wasn't, you know, as exciting, or I don't want to say exciting, wasn't as well thought of as it is today. And, uh, and they said, yeah, that, that's crazy, you shouldn't do that. And now, let me, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you get some, you know, some idea and all the godly people around you, including your family, are going, hey, you know, this could be bad burritos. I just don't think God is in this. That you ought to just plow ahead, you know, good luck, you know. That's not what I'm saying. You need people around you who are godly people who care for you, love you, but are not impressed with you, and who will give you accurate counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. But even in that regard, there, there will be people, when you launch out on a dream, there will be people who you thought, man, they're going to come along, they're going to be excited, this is going to be great, and, and, and they just won't understand. And they may not walk with you. It's okay. It's okay. Don't give up your dream just because everybody doesn't understand, okay? Let me give you a third thought from that. Don't give up on your dream, even if your journey is full of surprises and setbacks. Some people think that when I follow God, that I'm gonna have God's favor and the doors are gonna open and, uh, you know, it's, 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 there won't be a lot of resistance. Sometimes that's the case. Usually that has not been the case with me. God does open certain doors, but it's kind of like, somebody was explaining, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, automatic doors 
in a grocery store or wherever you happen to go. Sometimes when you get a ways away from an automatic door, man, it opens. Those are irritating sometimes because you can just be standing outside and it opens and closes and opens and closes. But it's, it's great going in because you know it's there. Sometimes an automatic door doesn't open until you get right up to it. And sometimes it's, there's a little problem. You've got to push it a little bit before it'll go in. I usually pray, God, uh, in fact, recently there was a situation in my life where I said, God, please close that door. Because you know I'm going to push and push and push and push. And I need you to nail that door shut. And oftentimes there's resistance in, uh, even when you're following God. I think most of the time there is. Joseph encountered setbacks and surprises to his dream. Every dream will have tests. Every dream will have what I call intersections. Intersections where you can't stay there. But you've either got to give up or go on. Give up or go on. You look at the story of Joseph. There's a bunch of them. I mean, the first one is when his family, you know, when his brothers don't understand and they throw him in a hole and they sell him into slavery. That's a, that's a give up moment. Where are you, God? But Joseph didn't give up. He went on. And then Joseph finds himself in a, forced to live in a, a strange country as a, as a slave. That's probably a give up moment. I don't think God was in this dream. No. He kept going. Kept going. Uh, finally, um, he is given favor in a guy named Potiphar's house, a very... Um, Influential military guy uh, gives Joseph favor as a servant in his house. And you can okay, okay, there's favor. God's in this. God's in this. I can go on. Joseph goes on. But not long after that, Mrs. Potiphar uh, falsely accuses Joseph of sexual impropriety, and he's put, thrown into prison. You go, well, that's the time to give up. But Joseph didn't give up. And then once he's in prison, there's a guy in there, a butler, who could easily have shortened the time for Joseph, if you read the story. And this guy, Joseph helps him get out of prison, and he promptly forgets Joseph's even there. And there's another intersection. Give up or go on. It's a give up moment, but he doesn't give up. Now, ultimately, he does get out of prison, and ultimately, he becomes, you know, the second most powerful man in, in all of uh, in all of Egypt, and you'd say, okay, there was the favor of God. But here's what's interesting. If you look at Joseph's story, there are more than twice as many give-up intersections as there are go-on intersections. In other words, he's following God toward his dream, and there's over twice as many dead ends as there are, okay, God's in this. Let's keep, let's keep going. If you looked at your own story, I'll bet, I'll bet you'd see similar results. You try to follow, you may, maybe you start following God and you know, everything's great for a little while and then there's one of those intersections where things don't work. You know, God, where are you? I, I'm following you, I'm doing it the best I can and, and boy, th th something out of left field. Maybe it's a relational thing, maybe it's a physical thing, a financial thing. You know, you start tithing, giving to God and you experience God's blessing and then boy, there isn't any blessing there. What do you do? How do you go on? You know, in those moments, the key to seeing God turn our give-up challenges into his go-on opportunities for growth is this. It's trusting that God is working absolutely everything in our life for our good and his glory. In fact, I think one of the most important concepts that you can get as a believer is Romans 8.28. 
Because if not, you're going to get derailed, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get frustrated in the waiting rooms of life. What is Romans 8, 28? Let's read it together in the campuses. Let's read it together here. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We, what do we know? We know that God causes, he doesn't cause everything that happens Allows things. He doesn't cause the bad things. But we know he causes everything, good, bad, indifferent, to turn around for our good. In other words, we can live in the truth that our Heavenly Father is in control of our lives and that nothing that happens to us uh, is not ultimately good for us. And, and we see that uh, with Joseph over and over and over again in his, in his uh, journey of following God, okay? So you have give up moments and you have uh, go on uh, uh, moments. You got that? Everybody got that? All right. So don't give up on your dream, even if you didn't start well, even if others don't understand, even if you hit a few roadblocks. Joseph didn't give up on his dream and he finally was recognized for the leader that God had given him a dream for at 17 years old and it didn't happen until later in life. But it was a strategic timing thing. There comes a famine in all of that part of the, of the world. People are, are starving. But Joseph, because he followed God and didn't give up, was at the right place at the right time with a plan. Read the story. And so kind of the end of the, that story is that his, his brothers are forced to come to Joseph, who now is doling out food for everybody that he had stored up. He literally saves their lives, but they don't recognize him. And there's this big reveal when he says, okay, guys, guess who I really am? I'm the brother that you put in the pit years ago, and we're going to kill, but you sold me to slave traders, and this is where I am now. And they're going, oh, this is a bad moment for us. This is not good. He has all the power, and he remembers. And here's what I love. Genesis chapter 50. In verse 20, he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He said, God had a purpose in the delay so that I would be here right now. Joseph didn't give up when he had a shaky start. He kept moving even when others didn't understand. He kept his heart right even when people who should have protected him hurt him. And God fulfilled the dream. Life verse for me, Galatians 6, 9, says, so let us not get tired of doing good, doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Here's what that scripture says. God has some responsibility, we have responsibility. Our responsibility is learn to do good, make good repeatable, and don't give up. God's responsibility is harvest, time of the harvest, and size of the harvest. Guaranteed frustration, you take God's responsibility, okay? When you retire as general manager of the universe, let God be God, you say, you be responsible for the harvest, the time, the size, and all of that, and I'm just going to do good. I'm going to believe that all things work together for good, even the tough stuff that I don't understand. I'm going to keep doing good, keep doing good, keep doing good, and I'm going to refuse to quit. If you'll do that, I believe that God will keep his part of the equation. Don't give up on your dream, okay? So can I take just a few minutes 
the rest of the service and talk to you about a dream that I have for this church. This is 25 years. I want to talk about the next, next 25. Actually, what I want to do is I want to talk about the next two that's going to lead to the next 25. Here's my dream. I have a dream of a church that cares as much about those who will be as those who already are. I have a dream of a church that cares as much about those who will be as those who already are. Let me, let me explain that. I have a dream of a church that cares as much about those who will be saved as those who already are. Honestly, most churches care more about the already saved than those who will be saved. Here, here's what happens. They start out they start out with a passion, with a mission, on mission. Churches as a whole, individuals within the church. We, 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 we've got to, there, there's a reason for us being here. We've, we, we've got to share the good news, you know, with our friends, our neighbors. We, we, the church exists to serve the community, all of these things. Well, those that study the church say that at about 15 years, up to about 20, 15 to 20, 25 years, churches lose their mission. They lose that passion. And it begins to be about them. And when that happens, there's a steady decline. Steady decline. And you can see it. It's reflected in messages and the, the kind of music that they play and the messages that are preached and the ministries that are done are heavily weighted toward those that already are rather than those who will be. And when a church ceases to be on mission, it ceases to be the church. It becomes a country club for saints rather than a hospital for sinners. And that's who Jesus has called us to be. We're all sinners. We're just not that. You may think you're something. You are not. We're all sinners. We're all saved by the grace of God. And we all, we all have to look around and go, you know what? That's who God's called us to be and called us to do. Jesus, Seacoast has always been about helping unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Christ. We did the most obnoxious marketing campaign we started 25 years ago. We called 16,000 homes at dinner time. <laughs> Nobody wanted to talk to us. We answered the phone. We said, do you attend church? Yes. Keep going. See ya. No. Well, can you just give me a minute to tell me why you think people don't attend church? And then we said, okay, um, we're going to create a church that cares about you. And we want to help you kind of know God and then ultimately become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Now, do we not like Christians? We love Christians. We do. And, and if you're at Seacoast, you can grow, and we want you to take your next step, but we will never cease be, being a church that cares as much about those who will be as those who already are. Do you get that? you get that? That's what, it, that's what it's about for us, and it always has been. And uh, one, of, one of the ways, we've always, we've always cared about the empty chair. I remember I used to talk about this all the time when we first started we had small groups, and every small group has to have an empty chair. And, and at the end of the small group, you always pray for the person who will be in the chair. 
we, we, we talked about it in the early years. If we, if we don't have, if we look around at a, at a crowd like this where there are almost no empty chairs, we'd say, we need to pray about moving to another service so that there can be empty chairs because we're passionate about the empty chairs. Why? Because every chair has a story. I want you to hear the story of one of my friends who came here and found an empty chair. Look at Eric's story. Friday nights, I went to Sunday school in Hebrew school growing up. I studied a year to be bar mitzvah. I was bar mitzvah at 13, and then it all stopped. There was no formal religious journey or anything after I was 13 up until I came to Seacoast Church. One of our neighbors invited Diane to go, and I went along with her, kicking and screaming. Uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience for me. You know, the things that I thought I was hearing were hurtful to me. I felt like, you know, Jewish people were being blamed for everything that happened, and, and I, I didn't understand. For two years, I kicked and screamed and, and you know, and moved around in the chair, couldn't, couldn't really grasp what was going on. Something wanted me there. No matter what I heard, if it was bad or good, I was drawn there. You know, there were times I heard some things and I, I wouldn't go for a couple weeks, but then I would always go back. And Pastor Greg announced that he was gonna take a bunch of people to Israel. God told me, you have to go with Greg, you have to go with all those guys. I didn't know anybody then, but it was just, you have to go. So we were, we were pretty scared, and we went, you know, we went not knowing anybody. Um, there were a lot of pastors on the trip, there were a lot of higher up people on the trip that, you know, knew the Bible. I never read the Bible in my life. I, I didn't know a thing about us. You know, being in Israel, I felt like I was home, you know. We went to the Western Wall, we all hugged and prayed with, you know, all the Jewish people. So there was a lot of the Jewish stuff, but there was so much Jesus there. I mean, all the things that we did, you know, where Jesus was, where he was crucified, where his footsteps were. And from there, I went to, I went and just loaded version on my phone, and I started from day one, and I read the Bible every day for 365 days. I read the whole thing, nonstop, you know, every day, like it asked me. I joined, I ended up going into a couple small groups with some friends, because I was still Jewish. I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out what was going on and why I was, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I was feeling there was something inside of me changing. And, I, and by studying the Word, I had to figure out what it was. And my son kept saying he wanted to be baptized. You know, it's probably six months. He was waiting for me to do it with him. And I said, well, I'm gonna wait till the summer and do it in the ocean. That, that was my excuse the whole time. I'm gonna wait until the summer, because I was afraid. The Holy Spirit said to me, just do it. You know, you do it. So I sent Diane a text. <laughs> I'm ready, and it was an amazing experience. When I came out of that, when I came out of the water, I was a different person. I I, there was something different about me when I came out of the water. And then after that, when Pastor Josh said, you can baptize your son, oh, you can't even explain it. 
for a new Christian to be able to baptize his son. Amazing. I want other people to hear my story. You know, whatever I can do to help them. I know it's a long journey. I'm, I'm new at this. You know, this is all new to me. But I'll never stop studying the Word, so if they want to sit down and talk about it, we can. We can study it together, you know. This just feels right. This is right. The Holy Spirit's in me telling me that this is right, and this is, this is what I'm doing. And He's pushing me through the commitment portion of it. I mean, I'm totally committed. It's been fun walking through with Eric. Eric was far from God, not because he was Jewish, because he didn't have a relationship with God. And I told Eric, I said, you're still Jewish, man. Don't lose that. That's who you are. You're kind of like the Apostle Paul, who is a Jewish man who found Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as his Messiah. And that's who you are. And something has come alive inside of him. He's just one of many stories of the chair. See, and one of the ways that we care is by providing space, providing room. I, I remember at Seacoast as we grew and we added multiple services. And then we, we said, what if the dream is bigger than we can ask or imagine? What if the dream is bigger than the number of people that we can put in chairs at Long Point Road on Mount Pleasant? And so we started campuses in West Ashley and Columbia and Irmo and James Island and Somerville and North Charleston and Manning and Greenville and Asheville. And if I've forgotten your name, I forget the names of my 13 grandchildren if I have to name them one after the other, but I love all of them. We love you. And then we said, what if it's even bigger than that? What if there needs to be empty chairs in communities and churches all over America because every community needs life-giving churches. And so we started planting churches. And in the last 12 years, we've planted almost 400 of them. In fact, in September and October, just the last two months, we, you've been a part of planting 28 new churches where over 7,000 people in the last two months in the first weekend worshiped and 430 brand new believers on the first weekend. That's incredible. And then, and then in a, uh, a couple of weeks, we'll be uh, hosting and training Asian pastors who have a vision to plant 5,000 churches in the next 10 years in new emerging mega cities in their country. Today, we support uh, uh, Muslim, uh, uh, pastors in Muslim countries that are reaching this weekend 1,500 people. Um, in Seacoast, there's 40 worship experiences every week in 11 campuses, but we've got a problem. The chairs are full. The chairs are full in, in five of our campuses, or they, they need other locations. Um, in, in our campus in James Island, our campus in Columbia, and our campus in Somerville, and our Dream Center campus, and right here at the Long Point campus. Let me tell you what happened last week, Long, Long Point campus. Just like this week, jam-packed full. And so I, I watched... People come in, look around for a chair, go out, go to the chapel, go to the warehouse, fill up those. And one of, one of our guys on staff said, you know, I had a friend that I invited. And their family came, and they came in, and they looked here, and they looked the other places, and they were walking out to leave. And he said, I caught him, fortunately. And I asked some of my other friends, would you kind of move out, maybe just sit around a television in the, 
in the, uh, the foyer area so that my friends who I've invited can come, come in, into the room. And, and, and they have a story. And we don't know what their story is. But God, God knows their story. We've got to make room for those who will be saved. See, I dream of a church who cares as much for those who will be saved, but not only that, but those who will be cared for. Those who will be cared for. See, this church has always cared about the forgotten and the lonely and the broken and the disposed of, the people that Jesus called the least of these. We've always cared. And you guys are so generous, so generous. In fact, in fact, you, uh, we, we've challenged you. Hey, listen, let's provide clean water. Let's provide clean water to places that don't have it. That's a cup of water in Jesus' name. And today, there are 60,000 people who will have clean water that didn't have it before you provided it for them. I remember sitting on the top of a mountain with an elder in Haiti, and I asked him, what does this mean to your community, pointing to this clean water system? And he looked at me and he said, our children don't die. Somebody told me just in the foyer just a few minutes ago that said in one of the areas where we put a clean water, they said that, that the average was 10 girls. It was a, a specific a girls kind of a location, and they said 10 girls a day were, were going to, to uh, were, uh, because of the water, were getting typhoid. And he said, now zero because of the clean water. And you guys do that, and you give toward that. Every day, hundreds of children receive an education because of schools that you financed here and across the world. Every day, hundreds receive medical care here at the Dream Center in North Charleston and around the world because of medical clinics and hospitals that you've built and that you serve in. Every day, dozens of kids receive mentoring that would otherwise be left behind. Every year, children are adopted that would be forgotten about. And it's great, but we can't stop now. You know, recently, the mayor of the city of Charleston has asked us if we would consider putting a dream center in the Ardmore neighborhood. Why? Because of what's happened in North Charleston. Crime rates drop and education rate uh, goes up. Said, would you, would you do that? Uh, recently, we were given um, a, a home uh, to be a transitional home for single mothers as they're making their way from here to there, that We've got to upfit. We've got to build. There are more wells to be dug. There are more kids to be educated. There are more hospitals to be built. There are more people to be cared for. So I was thinking about this. I thought about the words of the Scottish sailor, John Paul Jones, who became kind of the father of the American Navy in response to a British call to surrender when he was surrounded. And he said this, we have only begun to fight. And I thought, you know what, that's us. There, 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 there is evil, there, there is uh, wickedness, there is disease, there are uh, economic situations that seem to be way too big for any one person or even a church. I say, no, you know what? We're not going to give up. We've only begun to fight. We've only begun. The first 25 years have been great, but I can't wait for the next 25 years. And then, and then I dream of a church that cares as much about those who will be saved, those who will be cared for, and also those who will be leading. I thank God for those who lead in this church. There are many of you who lead groups, you lead um, uh, kids, you lead in the community, uh, you lead in, in the world, but my heart beats for the next generation of leaders. Let me tell you what I'm committed to. I'm committed to not being the generation that holds the reins of power in the church too long. 
before we give the next generation a chance to chase God-given dreams that he has for this church. You know, there's a danger in doing that. Uh, Young people make mistakes. (laughs) Young leaders do. Joseph did, but he was also used by God to save his generation, the next generation, and his father's generation. I hope that this church will be the people who give enough grace to the next generation to allow them to grow and learn. God has given us some great young leaders at Seacoast. You hear some of them teach on the weekends when I'm not teaching. Phenomenal young leaders. You hear them lead in worship. You see them in various areas of the church. And it's not just uh, those who uh, are uh, uh, doing that. It's, it's others. And I'm asking that those of you in my generation and beyond will join me in making room for them to lead. You say, where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm like a bad dream. I just keep coming back. I just keep coming back. And I've signed up for the next 25 years. But I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to do my best to make space so that they can spread their wings and so that they can lead. They always won't do it right or the same way that I do. You know what? Sometimes they'll do it better. And I want to be their biggest cheerleader. I want you to join me in being the biggest cheerleader. And the leaders who will be are not just next generation leaders on staff or volunteers who serve on dream teams. It's kids who are middle school students. It's high school students. It's college students at every campus. I want to invest heavily into them in this next season for our church. We've invested in leaders. We've got some great leaders who are leading in that area. In fact, I think it's December 11th, John Holm is going to lead a rollout on what the next season is going to be for student ministries that we are so excited about. And if you are parents with middle school kids or high school kids, you've got to be a part of that and and, uh, 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 hear what's going to go on. Now, there's one more thing I'm dreaming about for the next generation. And that's what I'm going to call right now just the Next Generation Leadership Academy. What if... What if we could provide a two-year experience where next-gen leaders can be exposed to the best in biblical and practical leadership principles and skills? An academy that produces leaders who will serve the church and serve the community and serve the world for generations to come with integrity, with vision. Training young men and young women to be Joseph-type leaders in their generation. What would that be like? Well, I'm asking you, to join me in this great dream. I'm excited about it. In fact, I think this is the most important message I've preached in 10 or 15 years here. It's a great dream. How many of you know every dream comes with a cost? How many of you want to know what the cost is? Three people over here. Great. Okay. Let me me talk to you. To add more chairs in five campuses, to add two additional campuses over the next two years, in Johns Island, and and also in McClellanville, to plant a church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Now, let me talk to you about that. We plant churches every four days. 2% of what you give goes to plant churches every four days, and that's where the 400 churches have come from. But when we plant them directly out of Seacoast with our staff, we try to resource them to a greater degree for success. Uh, Ernest and Sarah Smith have taken a team of young adult leaders to Castle Rock, Colorado. Why Castle Rock, Colorado? Let me tell you why Castle Rock. 
because this is a great mission field here. Approximately 50% of the people who live in this area will be in church, which means half the people who live in the Charleston area and in the areas where we minister will not be in church today, and, and we care for them, and we care for those who are here. In Denver, it's a different situation. 15% of the people who live there will be in church today, which means 85% are, are not, you know, experiencing what we experience. And so Ernest and Sarah have gone there. And then uh, and they're going to plant uh, in, in February. And then we asked Tim and Rebecca Lindsay to come here and be interns on our staff. They, they uh, are from Zurich, Switzerland. And we've asked them to lead the young adult group, which they're doing a phenomenal job of raising up leaders. They're going to plant a church um, next year uh, in Zurich, Switzerland. And I asked them if I could be a part of that. They said, no, you stay here. It'll be fine. Uh, but... <laughs> But we're going we're gonna to help them do it. So five campuses to enlarge and also uh, to plant a couple more churches uh, in a big way uh, and, and plant campuses. What's that going to cost over the next two years? It's going to cost $13.5 million. Somebody whistled. That sounds like a lot of money. How do you think that sounds like a lot of money? I didn't ask you to whistle. I said somebody whistled. I made an observation. Way to go, guys. Uh, so you're ruining the message. So, uh, so that's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you know how much it cost to elect the president this last time? $2 billion. $2 billion of your money and my money went to elect a president. I think that's important. I think the president is important. However, I think what we do is a little bit more important. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And we guarantee our websites will work most of the time, okay? We just, we just do. All right, come on. Come. Give them a break. You remember point one, sometimes you don't get started well. It's okay. It's okay. So it's, gonna, it's got $13.5 million to, to do that. To continue to build hospitals and water systems and schools and churches around the world over the next two years. Why am I saying two years? Do we have a vision beyond two years? Yes, but we believe if we can do this well the next two years, it will propel next generation and us into the next 10 years, okay? In order to continue to build hospitals, water systems, schools, churches, and oh, by the way, did you read in the newspaper this week or on the news? You don't even reason it. What? Yes, you do. Um, I almost said something bad there. You... Uh, the biggest storm in the history of the world hit the Philippines. When that hit, I started getting emails from the Philippines. Will you help us? Will you help us? The answer to that is yes, we will. I want to, you know, if you would like to help directly, uh, we're going to put a couple of our partners, I think, on the screen. Convoy of Hope and, um, and uh, the, uh, 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 Samaritan's Purse. Maybe we won't put them on the screen, but whatever. We'll, that's what they are. We're going to work through them. If you want to give directly to them, you can do that. Or we will be giving over the next week or two resources because you're generous and that's what we do. But in order to do that in a greater way, the next two years is going to cost $2 million. $2 million. And then to invest in the next generation leaders, create a leadership academy, we estimate that will cost about a half million dollars. So a total over the next two years to get from here to there is going to cost $16 million above what we normally do. So what do we normally do? Our normal budget for all the things that we do, uh, including the things that we're, we've talked to you about that we want to continue to do, um, it, it's about $16.5 million per year. 
So you double that, and then you add 16 million for two years, and that's $50 million over the next two years. Uh, how many of you know that that's a lot of money? That's more money I've ever heard of in my life. But here's the good news. We have the money available. Here's the more challenging news. It's still in your wallets. Yeah. But it's there. I know it's there. Okay. I know it's there. And so here's what I'm doing. My job is to extract it. Okay. All right. I'm just being honest with you. And here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want us all to be involved. This is a, we do it together. We do everything together. We do it together, okay? Everybody. I want everybody to be involved in next, in what we're doing right now. And so here's what I'm doing. On your way out, you will get a, a booklet where I've written down the dream, basically written details to most of the things that I've talked about uh, today. I want you to take that, and I want you to look at it. And I want everybody in this church, if you're a part of this church, you don't have to be a member of this church. Some of you are Baptists, and you've been visiting for like a year and a half, okay? <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you going to church? I'm visiting here. Okay, that's great. Let's get involved, all right? You don't have to go to the class. You're, you're here, okay? You're here, all right? So you say, well, I'm Catholic. Well, that's fine, too. You keep being Catholic, but this is the largest Catholic church in Charleston. There's just <laughs> lots of you, okay? And... Uh, so you go, well, I'm Jewish. Well, so is Eric. It's okay. You be whatever you want to be. But we're seacoasters, all right? So if you're here, I want you, to, I, I want you to be involved. And I'm going to ask you to take the next two weeks. There's a card in here. Pray about it with your family. And here's what I want you to pray about. I just want you to say, God, what are you saying to me? You say, how much do you want me to give, Greg? I don't have a clue. I am not God. I'm a lot closer to God than you are, but I'm not God, okay? <laughs> You have a relationship with God. He can tell you. And so you just say, God, what do you want our family to do? Here's what I think is going to happen. People who have never given are going to start to give. we got a lot of people here who never give. And you're going to start to give, and it's going to be a joyful experience for you. People who give periodically are going to become consistent givers. People who are consistent givers, some of you are going to become tithers. You're going to go, you know what? Malachi 3 says that God promises... That if I test him in this, I give him a tenth of my income, he will bless it. He will bind the devourer. And I'll be as well off with 90% as I am with 100%, and his kingdom will go forward. You're going to experience that. Some of you are going to experience that. Some of you who are tithers are going to become lavish givers. That's what I'm praying for in my family. I want to, God, what lavishly do you want me to give? Let, let, me, let me tell you one story. So the other day, my daughter-in-law, Jenna, just unprovoked, comes up to me just as I'm getting in my car to leave. And she says, here's this. Just look at it. So, and then she left. She does things like that. And so she gave me two baggies. This one says Everly's offering for next, her first offering for next. And it has 35 cents. Everly is my four-year-old, one of my four-year-olds. We have a whole nursery school. And, uh, and it's got 35 cents in the residue of whatever she was eating at the time right there, okay? That's her first offering. And then this is Addison, and she's my six-year-old. And, um, and it's got a dollar and 57 cents and a screw. No, no kidding. There's a screw in here. I have no idea what that is. Meant something to her. She put it in the offering, okay? When Jenna left, I cried. I thought, they get it. They're teaching their kids generosity. 
and everybody is involved. And this is important. This may be as important as somebody who's going to give seven figures, and I'm believing there'll be people who give seven figures. But there'll be people who give this or maybe another decimal behind this or a few decimals, and it'll all be, we'll all do it together. And God will be honored, and I believe our community will be better off for it. And so, and so we're at an intersection, and we can't stay here. We've got to give up, or we've got to go on. And what I'm asking you is I'm asking you to join me in what I think is a great dream. Does that sound okay? Yes. All right. So this is already the world's longest sermon. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who love you, called according to your purpose. And God, I pray now that you would guide us and lead us in this next few weeks of just seeking you and and just saying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? And uh, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom to be of the greatest impact that we can be with your resources. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.